Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Hello, and welcome back. I hope you're having a great week. This episode is all about the do's and don'ts of crisis communication, and our guest today quite literally wrote the book on the topic. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Carrie Stevens, a professor in organizational communication technology at the University of Texas at Austin. Her research centers on the role of technology in organizational practices around crisis, disaster, and health. She's authored over 100 articles, and her two most recent books are New Media in Times of Crisis, and negotiating control, organizations, and mobile communication. According to Kerry, when it comes to reaching employees in a disaster, it's about cutting through the noise with thoughtful messaging and targeted distribution. Let's listen in. Kerry, thanks so much for coming to the studio today. Really great to see you. Great to see you too. Excellent. Well, as listeners know, I am super passionate about communication. I really believe that it's the foundation of emergency response, so I'm really excited to hear what you have to say today about this topic. Great. So let's go ahead and get started. Can you jump in and tell us a little bit about your work and the focus of your research? So my research really does look at disasters and crises, um, especially in a work context, as well as the increasing number of disasters that we're seeing in the world. I take what I teach and what I've studied forever, which is organizational communication and technology, and then I apply those to these types of contexts. Now, is this something you dreamed of doing in grade school, or how did you get into this? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I never, I didn't even know what a professor did when I was in grade school. This did not come to me until I was literally over 30, and I was a biochemistry undergrad major, as a matter of fact, and worked in the environmental chemistry and pharmaceutical industry for a decade before I kept wondering why is it that people don't respond the way I think they should? Mm. And so I went back to grad school and studied organizational communication. And next thing you know, I got hooked and decided I really wanted to study this interface between technical topics and communication. Well, with that theme in mind, what would you say is the most common pitfall for organizations when it comes to communicating with employees? You know, I think a lot of times they think that more communication is always better communication. And so this combination of quantity, considering quantity, but also considering the quality and the types of messages that they send to their employees. I think that's really important. And often we don't spend enough time. We just shoot off an email to everybody and then we wonder why people don't always respond. Yeah, that's right. You treat everyone the same way. Someone who never checks email or maybe once a month you expect them to consume that email the same way as someone who looks at every email that comes in every second. That's just one of like a thousand different variables you have to consider. That's absolutely true. Well, what do you think organizations can do to ensure that they receive confirmation that their employees are okay in the event of an emergency? Let's say you're reaching out and you have that employee that's not checking their email very often, and that's the only medium you used. And it's really important for organizations to know that in an emergency that their employees are okay and they can account for them. So what do you do there? How do you manage that process? 
First of all, I think you need to have multiple channels. If you're just sending things through email, you're probably going to miss some of your organizational members. You need to also have text alerts. You need to have ways that people can log in, mark themselves safe online. Lots of different ways. When you have a disaster, a lot of times the only way people can communicate is through their mobile phone. Mm. And so having easy ways for people to be able to send that information is important. But I think there's something else you need to consider, and that is if you don't already have a good relationship with your employees and they don't trust you ahead of time, they're not going to respond in a disaster. And so a lot of this is thinking about how do we make sure that we are developing strong relationships between employers and employees, and then in a disaster, providing them the tools they need to be able to respond. So what can you do if you think about planning ahead of time? How can you make people feel comfortable with receiving those messages and then feeling comfortable responding to them? What are some of the things that you can do? That's a really a great question. In my field, a lot of times we talk about this concept called organizational identification. And what we want to do is we want people to feel like they belong. We want them to feel like they're a part of the organization because once they feel that way, changes everything that they interpret that then comes in the form of a message to them from the organization. So I think finding ways to make your people feel a part of the organization really matters. And, you know, a lot of times we hear today that people are just kind of moving between organizations and they don't have close affiliations. Well, that's going to really stink when a disaster comes around because they're not going to care to respond I still think it's really important, and it matters to a lot of people. And I'm around a lot of young people, and they also tell me they want an employer that cares about them. Mm. Yeah, that seems to be a big change in the in the workplace. I remember when I got started, I didn't really think my employer cared about me. I mean, I know they did, but there just wasn't this duty of care principle that there seems to be today, and that expectation has really dramatically changed. So do you come across that when you talk to organizations to say, hey, don't just think about the different channels over which you communicate, but think how the different people, based on generational differences, receive messages or don't receive messages. Absolutely. And not just generational, but also people have different preferences for how they receive information and how they send information. And I think a lot of organizations are are realizing that today. And so they're finding ways to provide easy ways for people to respond and I would say mobile communication seems to be a really popular way to do that. Going back on that theme of making sure that you don't just communicate over a single channel to everyone, what about customizing the message per channel? It seems like if you try to communicate too much over certain mediums, like maybe texting, people will just ignore it. Do you find that that is a true statement? That's a very true statement. And in text messaging, I've seen organizations that don't pre-plan their messages And then it actually goes through two different messages, and the second message comes first, Mm. which is super confusing in emergency situations. And so really thinking about the length of your message matters. And even if you're going to send messages through email, I don't think anybody out there enjoys getting a really long email. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have an email box a filter on that where I take messages from certain people that I know are going to take me forever, and I take those messages and I move them over to those boxes because I don't have time in the course of my day to look through something long. And so I think brevity, regardless of the channel, is really important today. Yeah, especially if it's an emergency. you got to get right to the point. Absolutely. Okay, very good. 
Well, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'd like to dive into it a little bit more. Is there any concept of over-communication in an emergency? You know, it, it seems like we want to share everything, but is that necessarily a good idea? Absolutely, we can overshare, and we can send too many messages to people in an emergency and also in our daily lives. There's a concept I've studied a lot, which is called communication overload. And it's really interesting to hear people's responses when they get too many messages. They will just feel like everything's piling up on them, and it actually increases their stress level instead of decreasing their stress level. Last thing we want to do in an emergency is get people all anxious. We need them to be as calm as possible and be able to respond the way we need them to respond. And so I think that organizations really need to think a lot about the frequency that they send and not over-communicate. I'll give you an example in the emergency context that I find very frustrating right now, and it's similar to over-communicating, but it's also not targeting the message to the right place, and that's an Amber Alert. They're really great. They're needed. But the problem is when you're sitting in Austin, Texas, and you get a message of some small town that you've never heard of that's north of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it's very hard for you to see that that's relevant to you. And so a few years ago, um, my daughter, when she was in high school, was sitting next to me. My phone went off with an Amber Alert. Hers did not. And I turned to her and said, why didn't it go off? And she said, well, in my high school, they told us we had to turn off all of our alerts because we were getting bugged so much over flooding alerts that weren't relevant to our school. And so the teachers told us they would take points off if we did not turn off our alerts on our phone. Wow. And I was so upset about that. I totally get it. I don't want to be bugged when I'm in the classroom either, but those are life-saving channels. And if we don't use them in responsible ways, then that's what people are going to do. They're going to turn them off and they're not going to be there when we really need them. Yeah, it's the boy who cried wolf syndrome, and it happens a lot, and I refer to it as targeted messaging. You, know, you have to be very targeted about sending messages. If there's an issue on the fourth floor of a building, then communicate with the people on the fourth floor, not everybody else necessarily, or have a slightly different message to those other people. Otherwise, you create chaos, or you make people just start to ignore them, like you said, and they get no message going forward, which is not a good thing. It's not. You really do need to be targeting those messages and think a lot about what information do people need at the time. You also need to give them complete information. They need to know what to do at the time. Just saying there's a problem, that only heightens everybody's anxiety. Say there's a problem. This is when we anticipate it to be resolved. In the meantime, this is what we need you to do. Those kind of directive conversations are super important, especially when you're in an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like you want to use the right channel to relay different types of info. Like you're in a building, it's on fire, the alarm goes off. It's just a sound. Everyone's natural instinct, unfortunately, is to hide in their office because they're like, oh, maybe it's a test. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh. Then imagine you get a text message and it says fire in the building, evacuate now. And then you're like, okay, this is real, but you still don't have a lot of details. No time for it. Get out of the building. And then you get to the parking lot and you're like, well, where am I supposed to go? And then imagine you open up your email and you see a lot more information and then maybe a PDF map showing where you're supposed to go to the different muster points. Wow, that's a, an interesting cycle across three different notification mediums. Absolutely. And it's also happening at different times. 
And I think that's an important consideration. There are times to be super brief and instructive, and then there are times to tell people more details. And thinking about that ahead of time is really important because in the moment, even an organization that maybe has had several issues happen, if they haven't thought through how they're going to communicate that, documented it, and by the way, trained people who might not be on the first shift of the day because emergencies happen in the middle of the night. People go on vacation. We need to be cross-training our people. We need to have that documented, and we need those communication efforts to be right on target every time. That's actually a really good point. And I think a lot of people just think, well, I, you know, I've got access to different communication channels and mediums. And yeah, on the fly, when I'm in the middle of an emergency, I'll just be able to calm myself down, reduce the heart rate, and come up with the perfect message. Sounds like that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. And I've studied that, and I've seen that happen in a lot of organizations. I've also seen people who are expert communicators who happen to be on vacation when the emergency happens, mm. and they pull somebody in that they didn't adequately cross-train. You have to be redundant about these things. You have to make sure that you have multiple people capable of sending these messages, that they're pre-planned so that you're not going to end up doing what I mentioned earlier, and that is sending too long of a message where it gets split. Those split messages really confuse people. And the other thing I've seen happen, you can't misspell words. Mm. Because I have heard and stood right next to people whenever we got emergency messages who said, oh, that couldn't possibly be a message from our organization. Our organization is filled with very smart people. They don't misspell things. Mm, must be phishing. Must be, exactly. So these subtle little things make a huge difference when you are trying to calm people and help them know what to do. You know, marketers oftentimes do what's called A-B testing to see what's going to work and resonate better with certain groups of people. Have you ever thought about recommending bringing that to emergency communication? So we have done some things similar to that. We've looked at messages, the way that you structure your messages, the way that you, there's a difference between an instructional type message and a request. Mm. And just some minor shifts in the language make all the difference between people knowing how to proceed and people questioning whether or not it's something they should do or not. So actually in the broader field of communication, if I look beyond the work I do, our field has done a lot in terms of message testing and really understanding how you design these. We've also done work on wireless emergency alert messages and looking at what should be in, in exactly what should be included in those kind of messages because they tend to be very brief messages as well. So would you recommend to our listeners that they perhaps think about, okay, this is the message I'd like to get across and then maybe grab a cross-section of people in different departments, just a small group, and say, hey, what do you think of this versus this? What's better? And will it probably open their eyes quite a bit to realize, hmm, I was off track there? You know, I think a lot of times we forget that we need to be asking our employees what they want, what they expect, what makes them happy, what channels they use. For example, if people were to ask me, they would learn that I do not check email on my phone. Mm. I have my mobile phone with me all the time. I also have my laptop with me almost all the time. I don't check email on my phone. So if you're trying to micro-coordinate in the moment with me, it needs to be a quick text message, not an email. And that's probably because I study 
I study technologies, I study privacy, I study personal mobile devices, and I feel pretty strongly that if you're going to ask as an employer to use your employees' personal device, if they're going to be expected to use it, they should be compensated for that. Mm, That's a really interesting point. Well, as we kind of wrap up some of what we've been talking about here, what are some of the other hallmarks of good organizational communication in a crisis or just otherwise? I think that very plain language, really pre-thought messages, and then I also think that being compassionate really does play an important role. And I'll give you an example of that. I did some work in Hurricane Harvey, and one of the people that I interviewed explained to me what his company did whenever the water was coming very rapidly at his home. They contacted him. They said, if you will just evacuate with what you need and what you can get out quickly, meet us at the HEB and we will have a shuttle pick you up. Please do not worry about it. We will take you to a hotel. We will provide you food for as long as we need to. We just want you to be safe. Now, whenever organizations do things like that for their people, don't you know he's probably incredibly loyal to that Mm. organization now? Yeah. And so putting some thought and compassion behind what do your people need at the time? What resources do you have that you can leverage to actually help them in a time of need? And I was really impressed. I heard that from a lot of different people that their organizations, predominantly larger organizations, really took that seriously and took care of their people. No, that's a fantastic example. Do you have any others? (laughs) Give people some ideas out there. Oh, let me think. What else can people, have I heard that people have done? Oh, yes, absolutely. I've heard about other emergencies where the company has told people, not only do we want to hear from you that you're safe, but we also want you to be able to check on your friends and family. So if you're at a place where you can't find out if they're okay, contact us at this place. We will go search for you Wow! and let you know your kids are safe from school. This is not happening at the school that your kids are or your friends and family got picked up by someone. And so setting up this help and support desk during emergencies where the company does the footwork to find out things that their employees really desperately need to know, but they may not have the time or resources to figure out themselves. Yeah, and it seems like underpinning all this activity is a really solid communication plan and system because nothing ever goes according to plan, at least 100% during an emergency, and you've got to be able to communicate with people. Observe what's happening, call audibles, communicate it, solicit feedback, change what you're doing, communicate that out again, and if you can't do all that, you can't do the things you just mentioned. That's exactly right. And you've also got to realize that sometimes cell service goes down. Mm. Sometimes you actually need backup plans. Sometimes people need hotspots to be able to carry with them. And I also think people need to be thinking if they cannot use mobile devices, how are they going to reach people? By the way, that's a wicked problem. That is <laughs> That does not have a solution. But it's something that is a great, important thought exercise because... You can take a look at something like Puerto Rico. People couldn't communicate at all. They lost all mobile capabilities. And so having these backup plans and these ideas, even though hopefully it's not going to happen, it will prepare an organization even if the worst kind of situation happens. Well, that's interesting you say that. It seems like in our modern world with all of our just-in-time mentality and all this technology, it seems to work most of the time. 
the second it stops working, people freak out and they're like, what do I do? So how much can you use communication ahead of time to prepare people to have some personal responsibility and let them know, hey, we're doing all these things, but if these things don't work, you got to rely on yourself. Absolutely. We need to be teaching people. We need to be doing a better job of helping people learn how to be prepared by themselves. And I think organizations can help that effort. They can encourage people and offer preparedness workshops. The number of people that actually have enough bottled water, for example, on hand all the time in case they happen to lose water or in a winter storm, like many people in the state of Texas, not all of Texas, but a lot of Texas has experienced in the last few years, people were not prepared at all. And I think that employers can serve a really important role in offering preparedness workshops and helping their people know what a preparedness kit looks like when they need to evacuate versus when they need to shelter in place. And they probably shouldn't use that word, shelter in place. They should probably explain, stay home and don't go anywhere. Because a lot of times we use a lot of jargon whenever we're dealing with these emergencies. And and being thoughtful about the language that we use is also very important. Yeah, I think that's a big thing people often forget is don't speak in acronyms. You know, get out of your own head. And that's why that A-B testing can be so powerful is sharing a message with someone that you think is perfectly normal because you're fluent in that language. And then you share it with the average person out there that has a totally different job from you. And they read it and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that almost always happens too, because once you're an expert in something, you don't even know what acronyms you're using, what you're using that's confusing to someone else. And you think you've, even as a communication person, I find myself every once in a while, people will say, what are you talking about, Carrie? <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, man, I know better than that. But it, it's you do. You get so comfortable with the terms that you use on a regular basis, especially when you shift to a different audience that is less aware of that kind of vocabulary. You absolutely have to change and not use acronyms and explain things very clearly. Yeah, it's that curse of knowledge that afflicts all of us when we get to know a little too much about our subject. Oh, that is a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. and you, you really have to start with a beginner's mind. That's hard, too. That's another, it's almost a cliche saying at this point, but it's, it's so true. Start with a beginner's mind because you spent years doing this, but the person you're talking to literally hasn't given it any thought whatsoever. That's exactly right. Well, on a personal note, what keeps you inspired and motivated in your line of work? So I have found that the combination of teaching plus doing research, it's exactly what I was made to do. And when I found it in my 30s, I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome because I get to work with young adults and they're the age group that I really like. I love that age group. They are independent from their parents. They're adults, but they still are looking for some guidance. And so I love the fact that I can get them involved in research. I can teach them in the classroom. They're really my group of people to work with. And then as an introvert, I find myself three days a week, I can be in the classroom and be with my students. And two days a week, I can hide and I can do my research or I can go out and do community-engaged work. And so I get that kind of thoughtful time as well. And so to me, it's that combination of those two things. Yeah, it's a great combination of theory and practice. You You can be in your ivory tower and you think all these great, cool things, and then you go try to present it to curious kids or young adults and they start eh, saying, I don't know about that. And they question you and then you start questioning yourself and you make that theory better. 
That's exactly right. And recently, I've also found that going out and working with the communities directly, especially in the kind of work that I do with disaster communication in particular, and then working with organizations and their people, and being able to ask people questions and listen to them and have them show you things can completely change the way that you would recommend that someone would communicate, especially, you know, whenever we need to reach people in an emergency or, or a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are you working on right now? So I have several projects that I'm super excited about. I just got back literally a couple of days ago from the upper Rio Grande Valley, and I was in rural Texas, where some communities don't have much data about their flooding, and they really do need a lot of help. And so being able to shine a light on some of the challenges they have and helping them get some additional resources is just very exciting, very exciting work. And then if I kind of move into El Paso proper, I have a, a new National Science Foundation grant that's joint with civil engineering. And it's uh, communicators and civil engineers who are working together to take a look at how we can help people be better prepared whenever they have unexpected weather events. And so I think that'll be a really, really fun project. And then the last thing that's kind of a big project I'm working on is I have a team that's working with the Texas Water Development Board, and we are looking into how do we help Texans better understand flooding and their flood risk, because we've had a lot of people move into the state, and I think this is very relevant for employers as well. Whenever, they, whenever someone comes from another location, they may not be aware of the kind of disasters that we have in Texas, and especially in the part of Texas that you move into. And so we're looking at how do we reach the right target audiences with these messages so they're better informed and aware that floods happen in their area, as well as trying to keep people from driving through floodwater. My goodness, we've tried to do this forever, and we're still working on it. Yeah, it's human nature to want to ignore that stuff. Kind of like I mentioned before, the fire alarm goes off and your instinct, unfortunately, is to cringe and hide in your office because you don't think it's real. Because what we talked about before, it was set off so many other times and there was no fire. That's so right. Yeah, so we have a lot of really fun projects and I think very meaningful projects where communication is at the core of it. You know, we're looking at all different types of technologies and data that are at the core of these projects. So I think we're going to have a pretty uh, interesting next several years. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you dream these things up yourself and come up with a theory and then approach these agencies? Or is it, do they come to you? How does that all unfold? So a lot of times what we're doing is we're coming up with the research ideas, and more and more of my work is interdisciplinary. So I am working either with a civil engineer, or I'm working with a management professor, or I'm working with someone who's from the School of Information, and we are sitting down talking about how are we going to solve really complex problems? Because I think what everyone has acknowledged now, and especially the National Science Foundation is aware of, is that today's problems involve people who speak these different disciplinary languages and come together, see if we can solve a really complex problem, write a proposal, hope that it gets funded. You never know. Yeah. A lot of times you have to try a couple of different places, and then when you get the funding, you pretty much have to move immediately and try to get started building your team and start doing the research. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for taking time to join us in the studio today. This has been fantastic. It's great to have a kindred spirit who believes that communication is so important. So really appreciate you being here. 
Well, I appreciate getting to speak with you. It's been a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, if a listener has a follow-up question, how can they connect with you out there? So probably because I'm a professor, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn, Carrie Stevens, and Twitter is another great way to kind of connect with me. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Carrie. And as always, we appreciate our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can rate, review, and share the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate it if you could do that. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.